0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Utah Film Pod. My name is Josh Terry. I'll be your host tonight, and I'm here with Mark LaRocco, who is back. But we are one Danny Hatch short this evening. We're recording this in the evening. I don't know. You, you might be listening to this in the middle of the day. I don't know. You can listen to it whenever you want. That's the beauty of the right. podcast. Morning, middle of the night,
1: during yeah. church.
0: Yeah, anytime. But if, but if this adds to your experience, dear listener, to any degree, Know that we typically record these a little bit later in the evening. Kind of have to get some of the you know the daily obligations out of the way, set aside some of those some of those responsibilities so we can relax and talk movies. That uh, I do know. It seems to work out pretty well for us, don't you think? Hmm. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. So uh, so Danny will not be with us this uh, this week. She's gonna take some time off and uh, hopefully do some fun stuff. We'll catch up with her again soon. Um, but in the meantime. Mark and I, we've got some, we got some stuff to talk about. We're going to be uh, talking about uh, a movie coming out this weekend a little bit. We're going to be talking a lot about a movie that's been out for a little while, and then a little later on, we're going to talk about some uh, a particular genre of movies that seems to have lost a lot of its uh, most celebrated actors recently. We're talking about gangster movies and, and about uh, James Caan who passed away recently, and so we got some, we got some good stuff. But, uh, but before we get into that, I have to ask Mark this is a little selfish of me, but there is method to the madness. I need to ask Mark, you, you posted recently on social media, some cool photos from a, uh, a location that I, I have actually thought about getting to and still have never done it yet. But, uh, tell oh. us, tell us a little bit about your adventure, your adventure in the cave.
1: Yeah, we, my, my oldest three boys and I, 10, eight and seven, we went to uh, we hiked Timpanogos Cave on Saturday, so it's I, I hadn't done it for a, probably over thirty years, and it's a nice hike. I mean, it's it's a pretty steep hike. It's an elevation gain of about eleven hundred feet. Um, with with all the boys, it took about an hour and a half. It probably should take about forty five minutes or something, but you know they we we don't or, hike or a lot. two
0: hours. Yeah, maybe maybe, maybe closer to two. Hours. Well, here, Depending here's the catch.
1: On... <laughs> so now you have you have to buy a ticket in advance to get the cave ah, tour. Okay. And you have to be, be guided. You can't go in alone. So you have to be guided as part of the tour. So you're welcome to hike anytime you want on the actual trail, except for at night. They do, they do lock a gate that goes up about probably a fifth of the way on the trail at okay. around seven or so in the evening. But like, so, and we had to get our tickets a week in advance. And we had gone camping last week. So my wife was nice enough to get up in the morning last Saturday and get us all of our tickets for this this past Saturday. And it was great. We had a good time. Um, I was a little worried it was gonna be too hot because we've been getting into the hundreds, high yeah, 90s right. and hundreds lately, but it's a north-facing mountain and it has a okay. lot of trees. There's a lot of cover and shade. Um, and it's a paved trail too. It's not like a hard hike in terms of technical difficulty. It's just kind of steep. And we, we got to the cave, and my, my oldest is just this clever, mind-like-a-steel-trap kind of a kid. Um, and the guide was great. The guide was really knowledgeable, very nice. Uh, he'd been doing it for a couple months, but he just knew everything about the cave. Um, he took questions, and it seemed like he was able to answer most of the questions as well. And um, when, my, when we got home, my son started relaying to my wife, the, what he learned, and it was just like every he was just repeating everything the, the whole guys thing said. it was so funny yeah <laughs> and we asked my second like well what were the some of the things called or what were the rocks made out of and he didn't know he didn't hardly know anything but my oldest <laughs> just knew everything and you know it was cool like it's a desert limestone cave and we even the hike he walked through different formations that are you know basically 900 mil- million years ago 600 550 400 and then you get to the cave and still like 300 million years ago or something and we learned you know the difference between stalactites and stalagmites and what are helictites and um, and and they there's a section of a cave there's three caves actually the first one is called Hanson Cave the second is Middle Cave and the third is Hypnos Cave and there's a section in Middle Cave where they say hey do you guys want to f- know what it feels like to be in pitch black and so (laughs) and their and their guide the tours are about 16 people you know with plus a guide and they turn off all the lights in the cave and you can't even tell if your eyes are open or closed you can't tell if your hands in front of your face wow i mean it really is the most pitch black i've ever been in so so Um, it's
0: lit so they have lights in there
1: yeah they have lights all through the cave they run electricity through it they have little they build some little boardwalk areas kind of in a few sections and they there's a lot of sections, and they have handrails, but, but I mean, they, they send you through a good portion of the cave, and some of it you have to duck really low, and like you have to take your backpack off and put it on your front or hold it, and and if you're, other than a kid who's like, my, like my youngest son probably hardly ever had to duck, but most of the people on the tour, there are at least a dozen times where you have to duck or contort your body a little bit different to get through it. Cool. so. Now, there are large sections. I mean, there's large chamber-like rooms that are, you know, maybe 10, 15 feet tall and or um, wide enough that you can fit a whole group of people in there with no problem. But there's quite a few narrow sections. But uh, it was a lot – really, really cool stalactites and stalagmites. Yeah. And then they're, they're columns when they come together. And um, Well, because I saw like... your pictures.
0: Your pictures looked awesome. Yeah. And, I, and, of course, I'm thinking, you know, oh, man, could I get in there and, and take pictures and stuff? But I didn't know – what kind of lighting they had it, if it was just kind of filtering in from the outside or if it was
1: artificial. You probably have a heyday with it because some of it there's lights some, and you can use your own lights, but you could bring a really good camera and get good close-ups of like the great heart of Timpanogos. It's like a really big stalactite. And, and, and they call it cave popcorn. A lot of what's on the (laughs) side. And there's cave bacon. I mean, it was funny. They had funny names for a lot of areas, a lot of little formations in there. Um, I took a picture of a spider. I, I don't know if it was a huntsman spider, but they said there's huntsman spiders in the caves, but I couldn't, that was a hard one to get a good yeah. uh, focused close-up of. But That's cool. Um, anyway, it was a lot of fun, and, you know, you, you they told us some stories about how, you know, because you think about when people explore caves for the first time, they don't know where they're going. and And this cave was actually discovered in the late 1800s, and these people didn't have... Lights. I mean, they were. Um, there was a group of people. I believe their last names was Hanson, and they thought one of the caves they were going in was sixty feet deep. So they they lowered a sixty foot rope, and they got to the end of the rope, and the cave kept going. Oh no! So they just sort of was <laughs> were stemming, like bridging their way down, and just trying to kind of shimmy their way down without knowing how deep it was going to go and without light. And that particular cave was one hundred and ten feet, so it was another fifty <laughs> feet oh, without man. a rope. Um, Anyway, and then like Timpanogos Cave itself was the last one that was discovered and it was discovered by two 14-year-old boys and they, they, they discovered the natural entrance to it and they thought they could make some money off it. And back then when people discovered caves, that was the first thought. Oh, we can charge people, come in, and this could be a profit <laughs> thing. It's not; oh, It wasn't a national park. you know. It wasn't actually made a national monument until 1922, 100 years ago um, under the Harding administration. But this um these 14 year old boys discovered Timpanogos cave and they they decided to hide the entrance like cover it with sticks and branches and rocks so that that no one else would find it and then they could come back and they they hid it so well they didn't find it (laughs) so the entrance didn't get found but for about another nine years and then by then that was around 1921 22 when it was made into a national. monument
0: so (laughs) it's great
1: time I highly recommend it
0: yeah well so Mm
1: -hmm. my parents have been there and they've talked about it you know Mm -hmm. so I've
0: I've heard about it for years but and I I was going to try to do it um so so two years ago when uh you know when more things a lot more things were shut down and I I kind of got onto this hiking kick and and so I was going to a lot you know just doing a lot of new trails and places I'd never been and I did a lot of them um, kind of up along the uh, the Alpine Loop, and so passing by the the Timpanogos Cave Trail, uh, but the t- but the cave was closed, I assume, because of COVID, oh. and and so uh, so I wasn't able to do it. But I've it's it's kind of been one of those you know on the list, kind of in the back of my mind since then. So I when I saw that you had done it, I I had to ask. And conveniently enough, uh, this is not just a tangent because uh, this weekend. The, the big, you know, or one of the big new movies that is coming out is about some people exploring caves. And uh, wow. their experience, probably not as fun as yours, I would just, you know, assume if you had to ask them. Um, this is a movie called 13 Lives. It's based on a true story. And uh, it is, it's, uh, it's already been made into a documentary. So last year you might have seen uh, a documentary called The Rescue, uh, which is available now on Disney Plus, it's a National Geographic documentary, and so it's on uh, the Disney Plus uh, streaming platform. Um, but Ron Howard has made a live action uh, version of the same story, which is the story of uh, twelve Thai soccer players, uh, kind of young young boys, and their coach, who were exploring a cave in Thailand about four years ago. I think this is the summer of uh, 2018, and. The mon basically what happened is the monsoon season started early, like immediately after they went into the cave, and so they were trapped. Uh, They were in there for quite some time, and uh, thirteen lives, of course, is the story of uh, a group, you know, thousands of people who came together from around the world to try to help to rescue them to get them out. Um, Specifically, a group of British divers who were these middle-aged guys who really were just kind of hobbyists, um, but because of their expertise, had been kind of called into situations like this. And I'm not going to go into a ton of it right now because I still want, uh, want, want you guys to see it and maybe get some more uh, input from, mm. from, from your end. But uh, just to sum it up, I loved it. I thought this was a fantastic movie. Um, it was very, very, I mean, based on a true story. And then, of course, I, I wound up watching The Rescue as well. I hadn't seen the documentary uh, previously. But after watching the documentary, I liked the Ron Howard movie better. Um, it seems to be pretty faithful to what, what really happened. Um, but just the, the method of storytelling and, and the suspense and the tension in the way that, uh, certain things are revealed. Um, again, I don't want to give away too much right now, um, or just in general, but, uh, yeah, if you're looking for something uplifting and inspiring and and really, you know, good quality to see this weekend and you don't want to just go see Maverick again, uh I would recommend uh 13 Lives. It was a it was a good one and we'll we'll talk some more about that one in the uh, you know, in an episode to come. Uh and so so yeah, so so Mark, I'm glad that you and the boys uh didn't require an international assembly of rescue workers to to complete your experience. Like uh, like these guys did, but uh, that's... yeah.
1: Well, maybe I do want to see Top Gun again because it's still my favorite movie. <laughs> I still, you know, <laughs> I, I don't I've know. seen it twice now,
0: and I still I've still only seen it the one time. It's it is hands down my favorite movie of the year. I mm-hmm. really really doubt that anything is going to come out that's going to displace it, at least in terms of kind of like your big blockbuster movies. And yet, I just haven't been going out to see more than just the new things that have been coming along so
1: yeah
0: uh including one that uh, so so we we've both seen a movie that we're going to talk about next that's been out for about a week and a half probably by the time you guys uh can can hear this episode it'll probably be, have been out for about a week or so um the new jordan peele movie uh nope
1: mm-hmm. which
0: is uh i guess you know initially i kind of went into it thinking it was a horror movie and for about the first hour, I still thought it was a horror movie. And it's kind of a sci-fi movie. And by mm-hmm. the end of it, I don't know. I think I'd probably call it i probably call it sci-fi horror more than I would call it horror sci-fi. Hmm. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I think it's, uh, I mean, I, I kind of just think of it as an alien movie. So, I mean, depending on how you want to think of alien movies. And, of course, yeah. alien movies, you can break them down into, like, well, are the aliens nice and friendly, like ET, <laughs> or are they trying to kill us, like yeah. Independence Day? Yeah. So you know, it's or are more they of, just
0: spooky, like Close Encounters? Right. Right. Because they right, were nice, exactly. but they
1: were spooky. They were spooky, <laughs> and this is more of the trying to kill us type, I think. Yeah. And I, I really, I mean, I, I do want people to see this movie, so I, I'm really trying hard not to, not to give spoilers.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. But, I mean, I think the simple, th- the the most simple way to describe it. I mean, so, so just for a little bit of background, um, Jordan Peele has, I mean, I, I think the reason I went into this assuming horror is because he's made two horror films already, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Get Out a few years ago. Um, the second one was Us from just a couple of years ago. And uh, both of those are very, you know, straightforward horror movies. Um, although I would put kind of, you know, the Get Out was a little bit more of kind of a psychological suspense, tension, thriller, horror movie, and, and whereas Us... As a, as a little bit more violent, let's say
1: um, yeah
0: but uh, but with with nope, yeah I mean it's it seems like he's kind of exploring some different different but related genres, right because it's still there's still some elements of horror and there's still you know quite a bit of tension but uh, but it's it's leaning more into kind of a science fiction area and mm-hmm. it it basically follows the exploits of uh, uh, of a young man named OJ, which I think is supposed to be kind of a running gag in the film. Mm-hmm. Um, who is running a struggling uh, ranch out, just outside of Hollywood where, where he basically provides horses for different Hollywood productions. And his, his father and I think his father before him have, have run this ranch for decades, but they're falling on hard times, um, having a lot of problems. They've got kind of a tense relationship with a Wild West theme park that's uh, just, just down the canyon from them. Uh, it's run by uh, Stephen Yeun from uh, Walking Dead. He probably, and he was also in uh, uh, what was the movie last year that he was Minari. in Minari. In Minari, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so he's just down the road, and uh, some strange things start happening, and mm. it starts kind of messing with the horses even more, and slowly we find out what's going on with uh you know what is causing the strange things you know so to be properly ambiguous we're not giving away too much and uh you know one thing leads to another and eventually there's there's kind of the big climactic third act like in
1: yeah movies like this so i don't know maybe maybe i'll just flip
0: yeah. it over to you mark what, are, yeah, what, let are, me, what did you think I, of
1: this so i i liked it i mean and i i haven't seen us so i can't really comment on the the whole trifecta of the Jordan Peele movies. And I, I think he's considered to be a very good filmmaker because all three of them are now, you know, so supposedly critically acclaimed. And I think audiences have largely enjoyed them. But I, I have I've not seen us. I, I did like Get Out more than this. I, I thought it was just more. Well, in a lot of ways, it was better. Probably. Yeah, I agree. And I agree. More groundbreaking and more shocking even and more had, had more substance just, to it more substance and yeah but this one it was interesting um i i here's the things a few things i liked about it that i noticed um first of all jordan peele showed incredible restraint in holding back on what could have been shown early on in this movie by Mm. by building the suspense of trying to figure out what really was going on right and then even once you start Figuring it out, and you start seeing things happening. It's still there. It's still obscured. Like it's still oh, there's a kind of a cloud in the way, or there's there's a scene, for example, where it, a, a creature appears to be kind of lifted up. And but by this time, there's there's so many point of view shots in this movie. But but um, the main character, you know, Daniel Kaluuya, who plays O.J. Otis Junior. Otis yeah. Haywood Junior. He's in a he's basically in a shed, and you just you don't see what's happening out there other than through the slats of the shed where it's really really windy and it looks like the horse is starting to go up in the air and and i i just loved it i mean it was it was so it made it almost scarier than just straight up showing exactly what happened oh yeah um and and i think there's a lot of a lot of scenes like that in the movie i mean for me some of the scariest scenes in the movie had nothing to do with what was happening on the ranch it involved a, sort of a subplot involving a chimp.
0: Yeah, um, yeah, I was going to talk about that too. <laughs> yeah, and, and so,
1: and and even what happens with the chimp, you don't really see it. I mean, you know what's happening. It's very clear, and it's even told in sort of narration by, by a character in the movie, but like, even it, it it's point of view shot from the point of view of a kid, and so it's, it's scary, and it's even a little bit gory. I mean, I think it earns its rating, but it doesn't show as much as it could show. I mean, if it were a Tarantino movie, um which is interesting because he's he's a very exploitive exploitative filmmaker, and uh-huh. for example, like somebody gets shot like he he would just love to show like the blood spray out of someone's head and in a close up and slow motion and all that and <laughs> I've noticed Peel does not do that as much, and no this movie did not have even the violence i i don't know about us I've heard it's very violent, but even compared to get out, I don't think it was as violent or as gory or bloody as as get out
0: no uh um, i I don't remember a lot of the gore from from Get Out. I don't remember a lot of the violence, partic- particularly. I, I do remember that that Us is much more uh, in your face about it. Like it's, yeah. it's it's much more kind of shocking and 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 graphic. Mm-hmm. Um, now, uh, what's interesting about Tarantino you mentioned is is that there are definitely elements of this movie of of Nope that kind of seem to echo. Uh, Tarantino's habit of kind of filling it, like having characters kind of go on monologues where they just kind of talk about like mm. the history of Hollywood and, and kind of background. It's true. Race. So I, I, and I had read that, you know, I read another review somewhere that somebody kind of pointed that out. So I can't take credit for the observation, right. but, uh, but, but there's, there's definitely that, you know, that out yeah. there. And, and I, I felt the same way. I, I thought a lot of the you know the cinematography and the the choices of perspectives were were definitely among the movie's strengths and a lot of the highlights.
1: The the writing is more similar to Tarantino, especially because of like the swearing, but also like this the what looked like offbeat, you know, mm-hmm. commentary or unnecessary conversations that characters might have, but they do turn out to be in their kind of weird way related, you know, to to what's going on in the story. So I think in that sense, yeah, he. Um, he does have good, a good writing style and I, it, it was weird. I mean, and he's a pop culture guy too. I mean, I, I, I counted so many little references that characters mm-hmm. say, even from other horror movies, like come out, come out wherever you are. I heard it's here, which is a poltergeist line. Uh, yeah. I heard, um, there, there's quite a few. And then it's funny. There's, there's a, a, one of the characters in this movie who I think is actually the most interesting character references SNL uh, for quite a long time talking about an SNL skit.
0: Right. Um, No. And I, and I think, I think that is what, that's a kind of a Tarantino move, right. Where you have characters who are not just, not just referencing other pop culture things, but kind of going on a tangent and, mm. and talking about how much they you know, because I think, was that the same, maybe that wasn't the same scene, but I also remember when, uh, when OJ and his sister, uh, go to, the the wild west they go to steven Yoon's office and he's Mm -hmm. showing them all of his memorabilia and even shows them like the special back room with all of the the even cooler memorabilia and that just Mm kind of seems like you know we're going to kind of take this this trip down you know this particular uh uh,
1: memory lane well yeah yeah,
0: and kind of hollywood history type of thing and and I don't know now, so, so here's Fil- what bothers filmmaker,
1: me. Some of these filmmakers that are obsessive filmmakers, they just cannot help themselves. They can't help but make movies about movies or make movies about filmmaking. Right. I mean, you think of even the cinematographer character in this movie that's more in the, right. in the later half of the movie. I, I feel like that's a peel proxy, like a peel stand-in in some gotcha. ways. I mean, what will he do for the shot? <laughs> what will this guy do for the money shot? I mean, it's... Yeah. What what will he
0: give up for the shot? Is that what you're saying? (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Okay. So, so, so let's get down to it here because like, like you, I did not like this movie as much as get out. Mm
1: -hmm. There were
0: a lot of things that I liked about it. I have to say overall though, I was disappointed by this movie. Mm. I, and, and I was disappointed, not just kind of in a general sense, but almost more so because I really liked the way it started I, I, I loved the way that for the first, you know, for the first good half hour, 45 minutes of the movie, you're seeing different scenes. Um, I mean, we, there, there's a scene that you described that you kind of referred to where uh, there's a chimpanzee and, and this, is, this is literally the very first scene. So this is not much of a spoiler if anybody's concerned. Um, the first thing you see is the aftermath of this chimpanzee rampage on a uh, on the set of a TV show. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and like you say, I mean, the, the violence, uh, is, is more muted. It's kind of, you know, off screen, you kind of, the, the sounds of the violence are more disturbing than the violence Mm -hmm. itself or than what you're actually seeing. But, uh, so there's kind of, you're left thinking, okay, well, what's the significance of this? Right. And then we have another scene and that's when we see, you know, something that happened several years ago on the ranch involving OJ's dad. That was kind of Mm -hmm. this mysterious thing. Right. And then it kind of jumps ahead to the present day. And that's when we officially meet OJ and find out what's going on on the ranch. We meet his sister. And I just, I really enjoyed how there were all these different things that were not really connected, maybe kind Mm -hmm. of vaguely connected. And you're just kind of excited to see how it all came together. And I think for the most part, the things did get tied together, but I just really was kind of underwhelmed by where they all led, you know, mm-hmm. by, by the time, by the time, you know, the curtain had been pulled back and we were kind of in the third act, it was, okay, well, all right. Yeah. I guess that makes sense. Yeah. And and I found myself kind of more, more shrugging and, and, and honestly, and I fully admit that this might've been me missing something. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me it didn't feel like the pieces really came together as well as they could have. And it seemed like there were pieces that seemed like they were more important that didn't turn out to be quite as important. Um, yeah. Now I, I for, for example, the the subplot about the chimpanzee, I got the idea that this was like this really huge
1: significant thing.
0: Mm-hmm. By the end of the movie, I wasn't so sure anymore. Right. And I, I kind of wondered if I had,
1: okay, so did I, did I miss it? Right. Yeah. For right. me, it was thematic. So I, I had the same thing, and, no, I, and I, I wanted yeah. it to be related. I remember thinking that, like, I wanted it to be related. I wanted this subplot to be directly related to the main plot of the movie in some yeah. way that was like going to all tie together. Uh-huh. And it, it really doesn't. It's more, it's interesting because it's more like, how does this person sort of both exploit and and maybe even ignore in some ways, the trauma of a what should have been an ex- extremely traumatic event that happened in his person's childhood. Yeah. And then actually profit off right. of it. Right. And, and then also deal with it in a way that just does not seem normal for what he should be dealing with. I mean, he's joking about it. He's talking about, like I said, the SNL skit. Right. And then, um, and then sort of accepting like, yeah, this crazy, there's something crazy happening and I'm going to make, money off it there's interesting motivations of the characters that at first you're you're like you're almost like get out you know like the name appeals first movie and instead <laughs> it's like no we want to prove this is happening we want to stay here and prove what's really going and, on And i
0: guess i guess that was one you of know? the other things that i was frustrated with too was that so so on the one hand and i i actually touched on this in my in my written review mm-hmm. um but what i i mean so once once oj and his sister uh Kind of get a sense of what's going on. A a big thrust, I guess, of the plot is their efforts to get photographic evidence of what's happening. Yeah, right? uh, including eventually the cinematographer that you referenced. And being a photographer myself, I love that. You know, mm-hmm. I have literally had nightmares about seeing incredible things and not being able to get my camera to work and get the picture. At the same time, given the magnitude of what else is going on, the idea of just being focused on getting a picture of it seemed kind of strange to me. Like, yeah, that's, this is,
1: you know, I thought the same thing,
0: and so, that, and yeah. it does
1: become more more conventional in the third act, I think. Yeah, um, but yeah, that I remember thinking that I'm like, okay, so this a good portion of this movie are are these people whose whole goal is to try to prove, and and you know, they realize that if they can prove that what's they think is happening is actually happening that they can they can make they can be very rich i guess yes. but that's really a good chunk of it is trying to prove what's what's really happening and um, even if they might put themselves or others in peril but yeah um, which yeah. which
0: i i believe i mean mm-hmm. the the way i take it is that this is supposed to be a comment on the you know our, our cult our current culture in terms of, you know, grasping for fame, trying to find a way to Mm -hmm. gain notoriety and, you know, fortune, all this kind of thing. And so, so that's why I say like, okay, I think I follow what's going on here. I think I follow what Peel is trying to say. I just didn't feel that moved by it. Mm -hmm. And, and so it was, and again, I mean, I, I would not call this a bad movie by any means, it, it seems a little messy. Like, I feel like it probably could have used a rewrite or two. It you could know, have maybe, been a little
1: tighter. It, yeah. yeah.
0: And I think it could have come together in a more satisfying way. Um, mm-hmm. But, uh, and, and honestly, it it might just be kind of the the downside of having so much early success. I mean, because Get Out was such a, I mean, a genuinely really, really good movie.
1: Mm-hmm. And,
0: you know, when you, when you put, give people that expectation, I guess the downside is they expect you to, do that every time. And yeah. that's why uh, I, I mentioned this in the, the written review as well. But and I, I really, I really hope this isn't the case. But the, the trajectory of the movies almost reminds me a little bit of, of Shyamalan, where, you know, he starts off with Six Sense, which was just fantastic, mm-hmm. incredible. Then Unbreakable was was good, but, you know, not the same level and a little, you know, seemed to be a little bit of a step down. And then by the time he got into doing, you know, signs in the village, they were still entertaining, you know, and they're so, I I still enjoy both of those movies, but it was obvious that he was kind of heading in a direction that, you know, and then by by the next few movies, you're kind of, Ooh, he's became kind of a punchline. And, and I don't want that to happen to Jordan Peele. I like what he's doing. I, I like the fact that he's kind of trying some different genres and emphasizing some different aspects, aspects of our culture. I don't want him to just keep making, get out, one get out two get out three get out four you know i mean i i appreciate that i just i didn't like i said i think disappointed is just the term that that sprang to mind because i i uh i really loved the potential that that the movie set up early on and just wasn't that impressed by the way it finally came together
1: yeah i i like so here's another thing that i i did like about it and it was the um, cuz you mentioned signs and as as i'm watching the movie i'm i'm i guess i'm thinking of like okay what is peel thinking here what's peel thinking here and there's certain things that remind me of for example signs sure you know, oh yeah it's sort of like this kind of desolate out in the middle of nowhere it's a family trying to mm-hmm. deal with this and and even a quiet place um, yeah. And I, 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 saw similarities. I think there were little references to even ET as, as I mentioned, but it was more involving the chimp probably than anything else. Oh, and um, <laughs> do you know what I'm talking about?
0: I, I now that you mentioned it, I
1: think. <laughs> I think yeah, I it, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, um, I think that was meant to be in there. And so, and, and, and then, um, you know, even like close encounters. And so there's all these little things where I feel like he's like, okay, let's, because let me let me put it this way. These kind of movies where you have to figure out human like human ingenuity, human resourcefulness to have to try to defeat something that's otherworldly and then try to find out what the weakness is and exploit it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's done very creatively in a lot of these movies. So if you've seen a quiet place, and I don't want to spoil it, but there's something like that in a quiet place. There's something like that in science, and it's an extreme, it's an unusual, like unique vulnerability that you probably wouldn't expect, you know. Yeah. And and there's there's especially something like with that Signs. In here. <laughs> especially with science, that one is hard hard to believe. It's <laughs> still a cool. A, that one was a stretch. That was a stretch, cool <laughs> ending. Cool stretch. And I I really love the religious aspect of that movie. That's one movie mm-hmm. that I just thought I love the way they did the the religion part in there, but. But, you know, in, in this movie, um, there's there's a couple, like, and I'm not going to spoil them, but there's a couple little things I like that are twists that I thought, okay, that was cool. You know, I'll, I'll buy that. I'll go along with that. And and it's not something that I saw coming. It wasn't, wasn't something that I, I expected. I mean, I thought a good uh, alternate title of the movie could have been Don't Look Up that was taken by another movie <laughs> a year ago or a year and a half ago. Right, I'm, I've, right. I mean, maybe Cowboys versus aliens too. Um, there's other, other movies, you know, that, but, but Nope is just such a simple, almost, you know, humorously short title. And I realized that's yeah. what Peel likes to do. His movie titles are all as short as possible.
0: Right. You know? Right.
1: And, yeah. um, and then, and then of course the, the, the theater I was in, they laughed every time, you know, somebody was like, Nope. No you know, like they would just say nope yeah and and it's funny because i I love the performances too I mean, I guess we should talk about it for a second but Daniel Kaluya is sort of this hardened quiet um one of the kind of guys that just never says more more words than he needs to hmm. you know and and so he's just he and he's not a he's not a showman he's not really that good at dealing with people um but he does you know he's got a certain amount of like courage and bravery and mm-hmm. maybe a little bit of stubbornness but he does not talk and his sister's kind of the opposite oh yeah played by uh, kiki palmer who was amazing in Aquila and the Bee. um that was when i first saw her was at this great spelling bee movie that she did as a child actress uh probably about 12 13 years ago
0: was it that long ago I was trying it to think. was I'm a not while sure ago if i've seen that one man
1: oh you you should see it it's a, it's a yeah. great one I've, I've got it um anyway but she's you know more of the like I'm gonna put on a little show. I'm gonna do a pitch. I'm gonna to try to, you know, like just sell her personality to get what what she wants. Um, yeah, and well, so they make a good little brother them, sister right? team. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But then then they then it makes a good team for what they need to get done. Um, but yeah, and uh, what's I can't, I can't remember the other actor. But there's a, there's another actor in there that oh yeah, because they well they out.
0: hire a guy from like the local. Whatever the equivalent of a, uh, a, like Best, a Best Buy Bu- would yeah. be to come and install the security system, but they want to point all the cameras up in the sky, and so mm-hmm. he, he he figures it out and and kind of becomes a a third yeah. wheel to their to their operation. But uh, well, yeah. and
1: yeah, and another thing I like about it that you you because you were talking about well, is it horror? Is it sci-fi? And it's funny. There's a little bit of a western flavor in there. Oh yeah, right. I mean, yeah. because so much of it involves these horsemen. And, and, and he's, he, there's a, you know, and I think what Peel did is it kind of starts out with um, the, the, and, and you learn this again, very early on in the movie, but the, the people who run this Hollywood, Haywood Hollywood horses, whatever their company is they're they're related to the first person ever on film that was put into right. a movie who is, who is the, the black jockey in like those 15 or 20 frames that they put together Right. They were put together, that were made into a movie because they were like frames that sort of uh, were sequential photos, uh-huh. and it was the first motion picture. And um, and then and and I and I'm not going to I'm not going to spoil, but like like there's some music near the end that is almost Ennio Morricone like. It reminded mm. me exactly of one of my favorite um, soundtracks, which is The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. Yeah um and and it's even got the voices it sort of has this like choral voices along with the the music um that sounds just like the I don't I don't know who even wrote the music for this movie but it sounded like they were trying to channel Morricone um who did tons of western movie music uh you know, oh yeah tracks yeah um so there's a little there's a little bit of that in there I mean it's not no one really would describe this movie as a western but it definitely has an influence Sure. You know? Yeah.
0: No, and I, 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 I got that sense too is that, you know, it's it's not a it's not a pure sci fi, it's not a pure horror, it's it's got elements of Western, it's yeah. you know, it's got elements of Tarantino, like we say. Like there there are definitely spots where it's like, Oh yeah, this is totally something he would do. I guess uh, you know, he and Peel are kindred spirits. You mm-hmm.
1: know. So
0: yeah. I don't know. I, it makes it makes me wish that I'd liked it more, you know, because there are it's, I guess there yeah. are all these individual things that I really did like and appreciate. Mm-hmm. And but it just it, I guess it just didn't kind of add up to I don't know. I mean maybe what's what's really weird is I just I just thought of Big Lebowski for some reason and and how like if you take that as a as a cohesive movie, it's not very good. It's all over the place. It's a mess. It's, I, yeah. you know, it's crazy, but the individual elements of that movie are spectacular and iconic and crazy. And it's a, you know, it's a, it's like the very definition of a cult hit. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I would, I wouldn't put Nope on the same level near, yeah. near the same level, but, but it almost kind of has that, that same dynamic where there are individual things that you like, but I don't know that you can walk away from the movie itself. And I don't know. I, I, I seem to be in the minority on on this one. I, I think people have given it generally Pretty a better reviews. better review and yeah. reaction than I have, um, but they're wrong. So <laughs> <laughs> that's funny you say that because I
1: it's funny you compare it to The Big Lebowski because to me that's one of the most overrated movies I've ever seen. And well, and that's why right? I, I is saw, because as a movie, I, I it's really I not that ex- good. It's I had such high expectations, and I remember watching it. We had a snow day at Utah State. It snowed so much one time; it was, I think, it was 22 inches in 24 hours. They canceled all classes at the college. Okay. So I remember this. My my roommates and I we went and we actually were able to get to the video store. Of course, couldn't go to class. <laughs> I know. And well, we went to Blockbuster. All we we got the Big Lebowski and we just watched it. So like, we don't have to go past. We have to watch it. So I was so excited, and it and I, you know, this would have been around. 2000 or something and i and i was just like so just bored and not and just like it was too like i feel like it didn't earn the weirdness it was trying to go for i don't don't know it just didn't work for me i don't know um and i like a lot of coen brothers stuff quite a bit sure yeah yeah
0: no and i i think that's it is that you know it's you you don't you don't embrace the whole movie as kind of like a total experience. You you look yeah. at individual things, like you look at the characterizations and some of the, the weird lines and scenes and interactions, and and that's that's the stuff that I think people really embrace. It's not because there's some, I mean the twists and turns of the plot are almost, just completely pulled out of a hat. You know, I mean there's there's very little that's cohesive about it. But uh, um, I mean I do I do have my my poster of of uh richard nixon bowling that uh, i don't know maybe I'll, maybe i'll have to put that up in place of elvis for one of these yeah. one of these episodes but yeah so any any final thoughts on nope or are we, are we ready um, to move on
1: i have a story that relates a little bit and because because one thing i've noticed and I, i've read a little enough about us to know he uh peel involves animals in his movies as mm you know, probably a little more than the average filmmaker, at least so far. And there's, there's a little deer, kind of a deer theme in in get out rabbits and us. And this movie has multiple animals, but mainly right, horses. Right. Yeah. And, and also we keep bringing up this chimp, but like, <laughs> I have a story that my dad told me when he went to, um, Hogel zoo one time and he went to the, well, the cat house, but not really a cat house, but it's where they have all the ma- the big cats, oh, okay. you know, yeah. like the lions and the tires. And, um, he saw a lion and it was a, it was a, you know, a big lion, you know, male lion with the mane and he looked at it. And so what happened is for a moment, he and the lion, like they sort of locked eyes and, and it was like, it was like the lion was looking right at him and not, and not turning away. And, um, so he, what he did is he decided just to do a little social experiment oh, God. and he bared his teeth. He kind of opened his mouth and bared his teeth at the lion and the lion just roared. Apparently, a lion's roar is, like, ridiculously loud. Like, in the jungle, like, you can supposedly hear it from miles away. I don't know if that's true, but, like, the lion roared <laughs> and jumped at him to the uh, glass, you know, to the front of the glass. And all the people that were standing in front of my dad were all scared and jumped back, and it just, like, it was an extremely tense, scary moment. Um, and, you know, and so, like, I, I think I think one of the things that Peel. Is trying to probably tell us is respect you know there's a certain healthy level of fear and respect we should have for 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 animals for creatures for whatever you know and kind of learn what makes them tick and and um it was interesting because obviously that would have been a really dumb thing to do if my dad were in the jungle or whatever (laughs) on a safari but you know there's a big huge thick glass enclosure that the lines in so it's not going to hurt anybody but it sure wanted to Oh god,
0: that's a great but, story. Yeah, it was. I know.
1: I wish I could have seen that, but I'm sure I would have been scared out of my mind.
0: Oh yeah, that that would have been a memorable experience for sure. <laughs> oh man. Okay. Well, so 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 that's nope. Um, but uh, I guess on a a more somber note, uh, we we have one of I guess a sequence. Like I hadn't even really thought about this until you pointed it out in the text. But uh, so so pretty recently, uh, James Conn passed away. Um, Mm -hmm. who, I don't know, I guess, I guess it depends on who you ask what he is remembered for, because, um, probably to you and I, he's Sonny from the Godfather movies, mostly. I mean, that's, that's kind of his, uh, his most celebrated role. Um, he was also, you know, one of the leads in Misery, the Stephen King adaptation with, with Kathy Bates about the, you know, the imprisoned novelist. Mm -hmm. Um, but then, uh, I get the sense that, Probably in the, the more time goes on, more people will probably remember it. Like the upcoming generation is going to know him from Elf as mm-hmm. uh, as uh, Walter Hobbs, yeah, yeah, Walter Hobbs, Wilter, uh, Will, Will Ferrell's father.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: but however you know him, I think, uh, I, I think people can agree that he had a uh, some. Well, actually, you know, the else was he was in Bottle Rocket, remember, in in the, Ferrell, oh, the first the first Wes Anderson movie. He was the kind of the gang leader, the local uh, he like has his, his, he runs the lawn business but then he kind of has like the criminal side side uh, stuff going on anyway wherever you come across him um, does some some great work some really really memorable characters and he passed away um, but then like I said uh, it wasn't really until you'd pointed out Mark that he is one of a few different uh, actors known for kind of gangster movie roles that's mm-hmm. passed away. Um, who else did you, who else did you have on that
1: list? Well, before you moved on, I wanted to mention one of my favorite sort of unsung roles by okay. James Caan, sure. and it's um, Tim Lockwood. So do you know the Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs franchise? Oh, okay. Yeah. Movies? Did he voice one of those roles? He's the father of, of Flint Lockwood, okay, the, the scientist inventor, the main character, oh, and, okay, and he's so funny. He really does have a great voice. Um, and I, I mean, you even hear it as elf, like you could turn you could just listen to some of his scenes in elf and you'd be like, that's, that's a voice of a, he he does great voice work. And so it's one of those little, just like family classics for us. Cause it's surprisingly funny, not just for kids, but like Holly and I crack up at, at this movie, the, the,
0: meat, the meatballs movie or the, yeah. Yeah. yeah
1: meatballs, Bill Hader. And Bill Hader, I've seen an interview with him talking about working with James Conn and basically calling him Sonny. I mean it was just he, he's such an iconic <laughs> character in The Godfather and Bill Hader's a big cinephile and so it was it was really fun for him to work with with James Conn on that movie. Um but yeah I don't I don't know if I've seen a lot of his other movies. I probably can't name four or five other roles of James Caan's yeah
0: I mean I think if I I mean I think if we got onto the IMDB page I'd probably probably could recognize a few more but but those are definitely the ones that I I think those are the ones that I heard referenced when I was reading kind of other people's tributes to him was you know it was was Godfather Godfather, it was was Misery it was Elf yeah those are the
1: main ones I think he was in Thief too I'd have to look that up but I'm thinking of a Michael Mann movie called Thief yeah yeah,
0: his role his role in Bottle Rock is pretty funny Okay. He's, uh, it's so, so after, um, oh my gosh, of course I'm going to, you know, the, so the Wilson brothers, like the two of them are trying to kind of put together their own little, uh, small, small time crooks, uh, adventures and escapades and, and, uh, Owen Wilson has used to work for James Kahn's landscaping business and the landscaping business is kind of, a front for some illegal activities on the side. And that's, and so, so Khan is kind of the, uh, the head of all that. And his, his, his role is, he, he, he brings what you would expect James Khan to bring to the role. But, uh, but yeah, for me, uh, number one though, is far and away, Sonny and the Godfather. Oh yeah, I mean, I think that that, uh, you, uh, as good as the other ones are that, that really kind of, there, the, there are too many moments that you just cannot forget.
1: I, the- I know he's so scary. I mean, he just flies off the handle. He, he's, I, I. The thing I like about it is, you know, it's Coppola who did the movie, and he mm-hmm. cast so many Italian, Italian American actors, and then James Caan. He's like the biggest yeah, star not? of the movie, who's not Italian American. Yeah, and I guess probably Robert Duvall as well, playing Tom Hagen, but. You know, Robert Duvall is not even playing an Italian his, character, his character in the movie. Well, his character he's was German adopted, Irish, right? Yeah, yeah I mean, He was, he was supposed to be
0: somebody who was brought into the family from the outside.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I love it when um, they go and meet the movie producer near the beginning of the movie in California, and and, and the guy's just horrible. He's like racist and bragging about you know his flings with these young actresses, and he he call he he's, you know he uses the term like. Dago, WAP, you know oh, these yeah. Italian slurs, and I remember like he's he's he you know he, he accuses him of being one of these Italian slur names and Tom and Tom Hagen goes I, I'm German Irish and then the guy goes All right, my Kraut Mick friend. That was his very next line. That's you know,
0: right. that's
1: right. <laughs> yeah, and so he's but just they,
0: ready with whatever you are. What a, he's ready with an insult.
1: Right, right. God. But James Caan, yeah, he he's. He does such a, a. I just love his performance in that, and you know, obviously, he couldn't really be in, be in all the movies because of what happens to him. In the oh Oscar. right.
0: Well, no, you and that's know. and that's what I mean is that for for a movie that is just kind of wall to wall with memorable moments and scenes, mm-hmm. you know, some of his are yeah. just absolutely the best. I mean. I don't know. For the sake of anybody who still wants to watch it for the first time, I guess we shouldn't spoil too much about his his final scene in the movie, right? Which which is probably the number one most iconic. Um, but I remember the scene where he goes after his uh, Talia Shire. So so Sunny is is uh, Al, Al Pacino's older brother, right? So he's isn't Sonny the oldest, or was yeah. Fredo was was Fredo next?
1: I think it was, it was I think Sunny the and then Fredo, but that's a good question. I don't know for sure. I should know. But I think it's Sunny and then Sonny Fredo. Was oldest, yeah, and oldest, um, yeah, and then
0: Fredo, and then uh, uh, Tali and Shire Connie. from the Rocky movies. Yeah, so she plays Connie, mm-hmm. the sister, and and when Connie's uh, husband is, uh, I think he's abusing her. Is basically what's going on.
1: Yeah, Carlos. He, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Sonny goes after him with a. With, with like a vengeance. trash can lid. Yeah. <laughs> just, yeah.
1: Well, there, and that's funny you mentioned that because that's one of the few, I mean, it's not a perfect movie. Like a lot of movies, like many mm-hmm. people think it is. There's a scene when Sonny's throwing punches at, uh, at Carlos and he clearly misses. and they have the camera directly like in beat, you know, between both of them. It's not like an over the shoulder shot. Oh, okay. And he, he throws a punch at Carlos and he misses by a good, like six inches. Yeah. <laughs> And Carlos, you know, he still jerks his head back, you know. He was it, dodging it always kind of... He was just trying to dodge it. That's what he was doing. He was yeah. just trying to dodge it. Yeah. But anyway, oh, that's yeah, we great. missed that's great. James Kahn was uh, he was iconic. And so yeah, and then and then um so I guess Ray Liotta had died before James That's right,
0: Conn, yeah. Right? Ray
1: Liotta. Right. Ray Liotta and then and okay. then uh, Sorvino was the one who just died last week, Paul Sorvino. But did he just die last week? Or in the last Within the last few days, I believe.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah. I didn't realize that. So, because, yeah. because weren't we also thinking of, uh, oh my gosh, now I'm going to mess up his name, uh, from uh,
1: Sopranos, Gandolfini. He was a few years ago. Oh, he died about 10 years ago, didn't he? Was it 10 years ago? I think so. Yeah, yeah. Paul, Paul Sorvino died July 25th, so two days wow. ago from when we were I recording this. Okay,
0: that I did not even know
1: yeah and he and it's interesting because he and leota are both in goodfellas and right right for me um ray Liotta is Liotta. i don't know if i'm saying it right he is uh like he's kind of the heart of that movie and and oh yeah and i don't really i mean it's just there's it it's just goodfellas like there, there's really not another major movie for me for ray Liotta. i mean he's so important in, in goodfellas now
0: and... Okay. Well, so now this—he didn't have the same level of importance, for sure. But was he also in Copland? Wasn't he I, the one who was kind of the sidekick to uh, to uh, Sylvester Stallone's sheriff?
1: I have not seen that, but he probably okay. was. Okay. Yeah.
0: Anyway. Anyway. So, well, so I don't know if this was intentional or not, but when I think about. Iconic gangster movies, right? Because this this kind of discussion, you know, you just kind of have to start thinking about, you know, all of the famous gangster movies, and there are so many. And Martin Scorsese made about two thirds of them, <laughs> and, <laughs> but like it really, it really does kind of come down, at least to me, it comes down to, you know, Godfather slash Godfather Two and Goodfellas.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And you know, I, I I first saw the Godfather when I was a teenager, and so it was kind of this. You know, you're you're young enough to just kind of think, wow, that is so cool, you know, and just kind of the the mystic, you know, kind of romanticized uh, element that just is saturated in that movie. I mean, and that's that's I think that's one of the things that I feel really conflicted about with The Godfather is that, you know, it's very it's very clearly about evil, criminal, horrible people doing horrible things but it's so romanticized that, you know, you're kind of cheering for the bad guys in some cases. And, and it's, you, you're, or you're willing to overlook things that I think in other contexts would just be completely unacceptable, you know? And, and I remember just kind of thinking about that as an example of, well, you know, because there, there are times when as a, you know, working as a movie critic, I've, I've been faced with a situation where, okay, well, this is a very, very well executed movie I really have a problem with what it's saying yeah right the 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 moral message is a problem, but the acting is so good and the writing is so good and the story is so engaging right mm-hmm. and i and and when I think about that conflict, I think about the Godfather because it's really just one of the absolute best movies ever made, but well, it, it really does kind of overly romanticize something that doesn't deserve kind of, such yeah. affection
1: you know yeah you know i I agree so like I've heard that um. I think it was Francois Truffaut, the film French film director, who basically said, "It's impossible to make a true anti-war movie because, in depicting war, you depict something that's exciting and action-oriented and involves bravery and courage." And, and he gives all these reasons why it's really hard yeah. to make an anti-war movie. Right. And then I think an Eber in his review said something like, "Well, Truffaut's has never seen Platoon, you know, or something. <laughs> like, finally, here is one that is just this has got to be the anti-war movie." But then um and and so i i read and i've I've always been a fan of ebers i read a lot of his reviews and when he wrote about the godfather he said it's it's told within a closed world an entirely closed world so we sympathize with characters who are essentially evil and it is a closed world because you don't really get to know anybody who's not part of this family very well at all i mean You see, even like the police officer, and I mean, the one police officer you kind of get to know in the movie is he's a fully cop. corrupt. Yeah, yeah he's corrupt right, corrupt. right. And so, of course, you start to sympathize with the family, and, and they use the word a lot. If you notice in The Godfather, they they don't use the word um, mafia; they right. deliberately avoid using that word. Um, I don't even remember if it's in the book either, but I think it was a deliberate choice. I hated and the
0: book. I read. I read the book. Uh, uh, like and, a couple a couple of years after watching the movie and yeah. adoring the movie, and I hated the books so much.
1: <laughs> it's I I didn't mind it, but I definitely <laughs> loved the choices. I'm going to just say the exclusions, the omissions Right. Well, that's what that, I mean that Coppola didn't include that were in the <laughs> in the book than movie. Like one of the ones that I always just shocked me is so the whole movie producer subplot of putting yeah. Johnny Fontaine in the movie, making the threat against him the horse's head. Well. <laughs> They go so far in the book with that, that he wins an Oscar. I mean, it's almost like, and it's so funny to me because if you had put a subplot in a movie about the Oscars being rigged, I don't think The Godfather would have won as many Oscars as it did. And even the second one, which won even yeah, more. That's a right? good point. Yeah, I mean, it won Best Picture. It didn't win Best uh, Director, but it won Best Actor. And then the second Godfather won like six or seven Oscars. And But the book has like this whole subplot about Oscars being rigged, and and so that wasn't included in the yeah. movie. And there's other things. There's even more like just sexual content in the book. That's what. That's that what. Thankfully, it's like, not in the movie. Oh, I know. I'm I'm yeah. reading the
0: book just thinking, what
1: the crap? Yeah. Like, you know? why is this? Is this a classic? And you're like, well, I guess Coppola got what he needed out of it.
0: Well, and um, on on a similar note, I because because I'm I'm absolutely one of the people who will say that you know in the vast majority of situations, the book is going to be better than the movie. Yeah. Um, but those exceptions are the Godfather and jaws. I hated the jaws book too, for kind of the same reasons. Like it it has like this affair plot subplot going through with, uh, with, uh, the chief's wife and the Richard Dreyfus character. Oh, really? Oh yeah. No, it's just kind of what, (laughs) Yeah. And then yeah, Spielberg made several good decisions about that one, apparently. And uh, yeah, so so that I, I remember I remember reading the Godfather novel and just oh like what on earth, you know. Because it seems funny. I guess I guess maybe once you've seen the movie versions and when the movies are so good, mm-hmm. you just think What does this have to do with anything? It seems so ancillary, so so yeah uh, unnecessary. But anyway, so yeah, so I,
1: yeah. When you see the movie, don't read the book. In those cases, the all-time classic movies. I mean, they should be better than the book. So yeah, hopefully they are. Like (laughs) movies like The Godfather (laughs) and Jaws. You know, Um, and I haven't read Jaws, but I don't. It's not on my list. I wouldn't.
0: I wouldn't bother. I
1: wouldn't bother. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But yeah,
0: uh, no, because well, it's okay. So the point I was. I was uh, making my way towards um, earlier was so, so where I had some reservations with the Godfather in terms of its, you know, romanticizing and I I completely follow what you're saying about kind of like the enclosed world. And that does make a lot of sense because I think it would be a lot harder to sympathize with those characters. If you saw the results of their actions on innocent people and you don't Mm -hmm. really see that in the Godfather movies that, that I'm thinking off the top of my head. um except for maybe maybe Michael's wife in Sicily who gets blown up in the car but you know Appalumia, there's a there's a, yeah. there's a 50 year spoiler alert there so um, <laughs> anyway uh, but the one but then several years later I watch Goodfellas and Goodfellas is just kind of a, a no holds barred just Flat out. I mean, it's it's based on unlike The Godfather is based on a true story. It's it's a uh, Henry Hill who is kind of probably one of the most famous, uh, uh, what would you say, uh, ex ex mob, mobster mob rat just giving mob, mob rats, yeah, you know, <laughs> <Stool> uh, <pigeon. laughs> witness witness protection uh, guys. Anyway, so this is this is his life story basically, and it covers, gosh, I mean, it starts probably in the forties or fifties and wraps up somewhere in the eighties. Um, and, uh, just unlike the Godfather, there's nothing romantic. I mean, it, it tries to explain what drew him to that life and that Mm -hmm. it definitely kind of romanticizes that, but only in the sense that, you know, Scorsese is trying to portray this is the life that the character wanted and that this is why he got into it. But then along the way you're encountering all this other stuff and eventually you wind up in this situation where you're strung out on drugs and mm-hmm. paranoid about helicopters following you and, and all of your friends, you know, sending you down alleys so you can be killed. And 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 so as as difficult and challenging as it was to watch Goodfellas, I think I've still only watched it once all the way through. I think um, same with me. It uh I felt like it was a very honest and you know Morally <laughs> accurate and and sound yeah. movie, and in, in that sense, right, it was. That's a good point. It's kind of like saying you've seen The Godfather. Now this is what organized crime really is.
1: Yeah, and this is really what happens. It, this is, does not lead to a good result. Um, yeah, I mean, although in The Godfather, it it doesn't either for oh, many right, of the people but right yeah. but
0: but even that's romanticized though right you know i mean and and that's that's what i mean is that there's yeah. there's kind of this there's a very melodramatic quality to it that you know i, I don't know if i would say it makes martyrs out of the characters but mm-hmm. but their deaths are kind of iconic and brutal and and you know but but not in the sense that just it, like in goodfellas it's just appalling you know? And, and, and just, and I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't even say that because I, when I watched it, I don't know that I knew it was based on a true story. So I don't know if that would have made a difference to me at the time. Mm. Um, you could argue that it's, it's more visceral for that reason because you're basically seeing what is actually happening or Mm -hmm. at least depending on the dramatization. Right. But, uh, no, but, um, Well, then you can kind of flip it around. And I'm just, I'm thinking about some of the other ones, like I think untouchables might have been one of the very first uh, mobster movies I ever saw. And Mm -hmm. which is much more of kind of your uh, kind of romanticized, even though it's, you know, you got some good guys here and the the bad guys are bad guys and the good guys are good guys. And because that's, that's the one about uh, Elliot Ness chasing down Al Capone back in in the 1930s. Mm-hmm. Um, you got Kevin Costner as Elliot Ness and Robert de Niro is al Capone that one you've you've seen on untouchables right yeah
1: I've seen that yeah and Sean connery one yeah Oscar Sean Connery mm-hmm. yeah no that
0: was that's a fantastic one um I actually have been to Al Capone's grave, believe it or not is
1: that in chicago
0: it's, it is it, well it, okay. it's it's in one of the near west suburbs there's a big cemetery, I think it's called Olivet. and uh so we got word of where, where his gravestone was and tracked it down. And I've been, been there a couple of times. It is just kind of like this little kind of nondescript little stone, but, uh, it's, uh, the, the grass, I remember the last time I was there noticing how, how the grass was just kind of beat to crap all around it. Mm. And, and one of the, the lands, you know, the groundskeepers people or whatever was, was there and, he was annoyed because I guess it gets a lot of visitors, and so the, the grass is always beat up around it because there's so many people there wanting wow. to get a, get a selfie with, uh, with Al. But uh.
1: That's funny. It, it's, <laughs> so I'm reading a book right now by Bill Riley and Martin Dugar called Killing the Mob part of his killing series. Okay. I was going to say like that's killing. So that's Jesus, who he's killing now, killing right? Lincoln <laughs> killing Reagan. So I've read a lot of those books, um, killing the killers, which is about hunting terrorists basically. And that's his newest one, but killing the mob was from a year, like a year or two ago. So it's fairly kay. new. And it's funny how, cause you keep using the word romanticized and yeah. he starts with basically like the early, like the twenties, like 1920s, like Bonnie and Clyde type time period. Okay. Yeah. Um, and, It's funny because even before the times where, like, there were movies or TV or even where everybody was watching movies, like, these people that would go around robbing banks, and this is, you know, this is pre-Al Capone, they were, like, public figures that people just loved. Even as people were being robbed, sometimes they, like, wanted their pictures with them, and they wanted, like, souvenirs, and... Because most of these guys weren't out just killing random innocents. They were just trying to get money or whatever... Uh-huh. And even, even people like Al Capone had almost like heroic status with some people, you know, it, it, it almost seems like, uh, well, and I don't know, you know, like, uh, there, there's just quite a few of these people that like, I'm surprised at how much they were considered to be not, not, I guess what I'm trying to say is not everybody was against him the way you would think like, oh, Osama bin Laden or, where everyone in the world oh, yeah. thinks him, you know, like Hitler, you know, uh-huh. like there's these people that there's no question that everybody just, they're despicable in every way. But like some of these people, it's almost like they understand, you know, especially with the dust bowl time of the thirties and forties, it's like, Hey, they're, they're getting back to the, uh, against the big rich banks, the big bad banks, you know, that are taking everybody's homes or whatever. And yeah, I mean, Al Capone was, he was just a bad guy and i mean he, he uh i think he ended up dying of like syphilis or something i think so right? yeah, yeah because and, well
0: he was finally imprisoned for tax evasion like that's how they right. got him yeah and he went, he and he was sent out to uh alcatraz right mm-hmm. and uh no but i think i think i heard that's how he finally died was from syphilis <laughs> which
1: is weird cuz so many of these people <laughs> were killed by either by other mobsters or by people in their own clan yeah. or by cops yeah. i mean a lot of these people died in, you know, pretty violent deaths. Um, so, yeah, he. I mean, I'm sure his was a painful, not with the, not with death, a bang, but a
0: whimper. I guess. Yeah, he was yeah.
1: fairly young, wasn't he? Like 40s. Like uh, 40s if that,
0: yeah, I don't. I as I recall, he was yeah. pretty, pretty. Uh, he was comparatively young. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, and so and so, I'm trying to think of like some of the other. Like I said, it seems it seems like yeah. Scorsese made half of these movies. Cause I'm thinking about. Uh, you know, in- or Irishman and mm-hmm. cas- Casino—that would be considered a mob movie, right? Yeah. Um, and then, uh, oh, was there was there was something? Do you else know what the
1: common about? thread in every Departed. single movie? Was it, isn't you've Departed? Just named? Okay. Is De Niro in Departed? I don't think he is.
0: I'm not sure he was.
1: Okay. Other than Departed, every single movie you've named has De Niro in it. Oh no, never mind. He's in The Godfather 2. He's not in the first
0: one. I was going to say he's not in one. the first one, but he's I mean he's
1: in, yeah.
0: I don't know. It's hard to not some with some of these movies I find it hard to separate Godfather 1 or 2. They're mm. they're kind of it's like if you're going to see one, you got to see the other. And yeah. you know, nobody nobody's just just going to see the second one, but then if you're going to see the first one, you got to see the second one,
1: right? Mm-hmm. So we might as well have been in the first one. I don't know, but uh, you know there there's a it's not a consensus, but there are quite a few critics who believe the second is better than the first. Um, that it's just plain superior, and I, I don't yeah. think so. And I but I, I think it's a really really good movie. And, oh and yeah, short, it's fantastic. It tells those parallel stories of like early early 1900s. You yeah. know how did he become? You know how did the the Marlon Brando? godfather character become the godfather and then like michael's sort of even more evil descent into yeah to evil you know in in the like the 50s 60s well because
0: the because the first movie is the story of al pacino's character like mike so al pacino plays michael corleone who's mm -hmm. marlon brando is his son and the first movie is i'm just you know for the sake of any who hasn't already seen these movies uh you know, the first movie is effectively the story of Michael's fall, like his, yeah. you know, he, beca- it's, it's breaking bad in a three hour movie about gangsters. Mm. Right. And, yeah. and so, and so part two is both a prequel. Like you say, it's kind of, it's telling, you know, Vito's yeah. early story, his, his origin story, but then it's also saying, okay, well, this is what happens to Michael after the events of the first one, you know, fast forward 10, 15, 20 years in the future. Yeah. And, uh, as he, as he tries to take the family out to Nevada and Mm -hmm. to, you know, to, to Reno and stuff. But yeah, no, it's,
1: yeah. When you say his fall though, it might be misleading for people because it's, it's his moral fall, but it's his rise to power. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's.
0: Well, I mean, just because I guess from the perspective of when, when we meet him at the beginning of the first Godfather, he is a recently returned veteran from world mm -hmm. war two. And so he's a war hero. Right and and he is explicitly separate from the family business. Doesn't want a part of it. Doesn't want to have anything to do with it. But then one thing leads to another, and by the end of the movie, he's basically
1: the Godfather.
0: Yeah. yeah. No. Li- li- quite literally. I mean, that's right. that's kind of like that's the final. The end scene. of the movie is is him officially taking that that role. And so Which, so yeah, like yeah. you say, is a, a fall in moral terms, even if it's concurrent to a rise to power. So
1: yeah. That that final scene, I, I love it. I love the door closing on. Uh, it has Diane been used Keaton. so many times. And Seinfeld, times. <laughs> Seinfeld, <sends laughs> that that, where Kramer is like the Godfather, and the door gets closed on like Jerry and George. I think uh, maybe Elaine too. I'm trying to remember. It's, it's that funny. they
0: there there have been so many references to that yeah. to that scene. You know, where where some character is getting shut out, and you know, just peeking through the door as it closes. But, yeah uh, oh yeah no and so oh god what other did you, you, did you named like, him I, oh, I
1: mean did ahead. you like the irishman i thought it was fine i mean it was it was so long for me and i i it's probably the kind of movie i would appreciate on a on a rewatch but i i thought it was fine i mean it was a, it was that year that so many good movies came out so for me it just yeah wasn't that's one of right top movies yeah 2019 right um, right right but I mean, it was a, it was uh, the thing that I I remember now, one of the things that did bother me about it, and I know they spent a ton of money doing this, but so there's de-aging technology they use to try to make Robert De Niro and Joe Pesci appear younger, like in their 20s or whatever, when in reality they're, at the time of the movie, I think when it was made, you know, they're in their 70s. Mm-hmm. And And, you know, there's a part where Robert De Niro's, like, Beating up a guy, kicking him, stomping him against the curb, and just by Robert De Niro's body, you could tell it's <laughs> you an can older tell guy. That he's an older guy, <laughs> right? You know, but like he's de-aged, and his face is younger, and and Joe Pesci's yeah. face is younger in a good chunk of the movie. But even when you look at it, it's it's this uncanny valley feeling right. Right. where you're like, that doesn't look quite right, and and maybe they could have got different actors. I mean, Godfather Two, you know, there's different oh, yeah. actors playing these. Yeah people. And that was 1974. But so I remember that being something that probably bothered me more than it bothered most people. Um, You
0: know, I think it's, I kind of think that the general rule, and I thought about this as I've watched, you know, various, you know, the examples that spring to mind first are the ones in Star Wars with, you know, uh, Rogue One. But like, if you find yourself thinking about what they've done, you know, mm-hmm. if 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 you find yourself even if you're thinking, Oh, that looks pretty good
1: mm-hmm. that's
0: kind of the giveaway, right? Right. Like because right. it's not supposed to be a distraction. You're yeah, just like, supposed to see a character and if all you're thinking about is how good or how bad the CGI is to make them look
1: one particular age, mm-hmm. I think you already kind of lost yeah. the battle. You know? Like, oh that's supposed to be Princess Leia. Okay, yeah, I yeah. can see that, or or the end of the Mandalorian, like Oh, that's Luke. Is that like is that Luke Skywalker? Yeah. And you're looking at his face and how'd they do that? You know, but I And well and then uh, I don't know.
0: I just I wish that they would not in those cases, I think if the characters had just kept their mouths shut, it would (laughs) would they would have gotten away with it better because it's like the more they performed Mm -hmm. the more obvious it was that their mouth is moving, but the rest of their face is so still. <laughs> well, know? maybe what like, they could do just... is they
1: could show the face, and then they could do a cutaway, but still have the actor read the line. Have the actor yeah, right, right. Day, and, no, exactly. You know, something like that, sure. and then maybe it would work. Sure. And, um, yeah, I don't know. It. <laughs> the other thing you could do is just do a really long shot, maybe, you know, <laughs> instead of a close-up. But you want to see faces. I mean, going back yeah. to nope I, I loved um, – there's so many close-ups on Daniel Kaluuya's face and I, I, I liked it. I mean, I just, I like watching him. I think he's a great actor and, you know, figuring out what he's thinking and, and, and yeah, I mean, so you, you just, you want to see close-ups of faces, yeah. you know, I, I, I almost get annoyed when movies avoid it for too long, you know, this it feels lazy or something, but Yeah. Yeah. That de-aging stuff. It just didn't work for me with the Irishman. Yeah. No, I I wouldn't say that
0: was like my biggest issue with it. I did. I mean, not that I have a big list of issues with it. It just wasn't one of my favorite movies. But, uh, well, so how about, how about this for an exit question then? Because we haven't, we haven't broached this topic within the gangster movie genre. Okay. What's your feelings about Godfather three?
1: Oh yeah, I have a lot of feelings. Um, <laughs> I've heard people talk so negatively about it, make fun of it, that I've defended it because I think when you're unfair when you're comparing a movie to two of the greatest movies of all time, of course it's gonna falter by comparison. Sure. Like yeah. when you're when you're I and, and literally I mean I people overuse the word literally, but literally I think Godfather One and Two are, you know, two of the top twenty or thirty movies ever, mm-hmm. you know, and Godfather 1 is really r- one of my all-time favorites. I mean, like, I, it's, it's, uh, it's, here, I'll show you. <laughs> hey, that? what's that say? Life is Beautiful. Um, I mean, that's the Godfather right there, right? Can you see it? <laughs> Am I even yeah, pointing yeah. it the right way? Anyway, <laughs> I love it. I just love the Godfather. It's always been one of my favorites and I watch it a lot. And so, and the third one, if, if you just think about it as a movie it and not really compare it to the other two, I think it's good. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think it's a great movie and, and I don't think it's, and it's funny. It came out the same year as Goodfellas. So it was competing with Goodfellas oh, that's for right. Best Picture and it came out in 1990 and I think it's, it's good. It's fine. And yeah. it's got some pretty traumatic, like tragic scenes and it's even got the, the end of Michael Corleone. It has some pretty bad acting by Sophia Coppola. Yeah. Um, that's a little hard. It, it was
0: supposed to be Winona Ryder.
1: Mm. She was supposed they to ha- play
0: the role originally and then she had to back out. I think she got sick or something.
1: Oh, and then it was his grandson's yeah, so, daughter. Yep,
0: yeah, so he plugged in. Who who became a <sighs> a great filmmaker, right? Oh yeah. A very very good director, but uh, people people weren't too crazy about her her performance. No. No, I I remember a lot of specific things. I I, I like a lot of individual moments in Godfather Three, but mm-hmm. you know, it's it's not on the same level. You know, yeah. I mean it's. It, I think it's as biggest value might be the one quote from from Michael when he's like, "Every time Every I time. think I'm out, they pull yep. me back in."
1: Yeah, that's one of the great quotes. You know, that's yeah. that,
0: that that definitely deserves to be in the the pantheon of of Godfather quotes. So yeah,
1: especially the way he pulls <laughs> his arm into his chest too, his hands in. You know, yeah. like yeah, yeah, and and then it's got Sunny Sun. So you know you oh, kind yeah. get the legacy of Sonny continued through uh, Andy Garcia. Mm-hmm um yeah his like Ill- illegitimate son i guess and he he's got the same temper temper as Sonny, right, right. um and uh d- just kind of like the, the heart of a killer but yeah I, I like uh i thought it was it was really good um and apparently and i haven't seen this but they re- francis ford coppola has recut the godfather of the three and it's quite different from what i hear and he's renamed it it's called the death oh, really? of michael corleone Oh, okay. It's called like The Godfather 3, The Death of Michael Corleone, and it, it he did it about a year a year and a half ago and I just still haven't oh. seen it, but I'd like to Maybe see Maybe I'll it check that out. See how, see how different it is. Um He he kind of has that habit, doesn't he? Because I mean, it was just a little while
0: ago that I saw his alternate version, which was supposed to be his original version of The Outsiders, where he it's like the entire novel instead of just kind of like the chopped up part part that you saw in the book uh in the original version of the movie. And I mean, how many different versions has he released of Apocalypse Now?
1: Right. Oh yeah, I, and I haven't seen the Redux, but yeah, Apocalypse Apocalypse Now Redux, I guess is, yeah, another one. Yeah. Um. Yeah, interesting. Some something about
0: those uh, San Francisco directors, those Bay Area directors from the the seventies who just can't can't leave well enough alone. Him and him and George, they're good buddies. Mm.
1: That happens. Yeah. I don't know. And it's funny cause he's, he really like that. The seventies was his heyday and I don't know if he's really made a great movie since Apocalypse now. Has he? I'm
0: Well, so, so out, I mean, outsiders was good. I, I okay. really did like outsiders quite a bit. Um, I think the movie is probably more heralded for all the people that it introduced to Hollywood more than it, than, you know, the movie itself. But, uh, Gosh, and see, I just, I just barely watched uh, Tucker, the man in his dream, the one with, uh, I think it was Jeff Bridges, about the the guy who was trying to reinvent the car. Or, um, oh
1: yeah, I liked that one.
0: No, that was good. Yeah. I mean, it was it was no great movie, but uh, I'm just, gosh, I'm trying to think of what else he's. I know he's done stuff, but yeah, I think you're probably right. I mean, I I don't know that anything he did outside of the '70s has near the same regard. You know, I rewatched Conversation a little while ago and that's, mm-hmm. you know, that's quite good, which you did in between the first two Godfather movies, I guess.
1: Yeah. But, he had uh, a great run. I mean, from 70, just 72 to 74. Um, So, I mean, it's funny, just those two or three movies an Apocalypse Now kind of etched him in film lore. Oh, yeah. No matter yeah. what else he did. And he's right. not really, he's never been a prolific, you know, like scorsese or woody allen or somebody that just has mm-hmm. to make a movie every year right. or two and he um he's very proud of his wine business apparently he, uh-huh. he has a wine winery and um that's a huge deal for him and uh i think he's i read an article recently about him and he's probably 80 mid 80s so almost you know yeah i think he's done making movies but probably probably yeah probably. Godfather's definitely up there. It's a fun one to to talk about.
0: It is. It is, and uh, nice, uh, nice little send off tribute. Thank you to mm-hmm. uh, James Caan and yeah, you know. Well, and we got because uh, we talked about Goodfellas. We got Paul Sorvino in there too. Yeah, I just I yeah, didn't, didn't uh, mention Sorvino, I didn't but both
1: both Ray Liotta and Sorvino both died this year, and they were two of the main. Yeah, I mean, along with De Niro and Pesci, those kind of were the four main guys in Goodfellas. Right. Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, that's some that's some good stuff. Well, I think uh we've probably given our, our audience plenty to <laughs> plenty to, to to digest there in terms of gangster movies and and nope and a little taste of thirteen lives. So that's uh covered some good ground today. Um of course if you guys have uh comments or questions or thoughts to pass on, we'd love to hear from you and if you got some time, please hop on to iTunes or Spotify or wherever you're listening to or watching the podcast and give us a positive review build us up and uh, maybe give us some ideas for things you'd like to hear us cover in future episodes but uh, until then mark you just be careful with those caves you go exploring and uh Mm -hmm. i'll uh i'll try to do the same Mm -hmm. talk to you guys next time Mm